This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Hello and welcome everyone. Uh, I'm sure you're out there, you're excited. If you've turned this on, you know we're on another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I am excited to be back in the studio. Fall is definitely in full swing. If you're not out chasing deer, pheasants, turkey, fish, walleye, crappie, I, you know, I, you, you're listening to the wrong podcast because <laughs> we've been trying to motivate you to do that all year. Yeah, it is that fun time of year. I hope you guys are getting out there and enjoying it more than I have been. I, I, I have to admit, I'm a little bit of a slacker. David is over here and he's like, yeah, I already went and killed some ducks this morning. So he's definitely outperforming me. So I'm going to have to get my butt out there and go do some go do some fishing or hunting or something. But um, I wanted to ask you, David, you know, the holidays coming up and everything that's going on. Tell us what people can expect you know on the on the bow spider website and just deals with bow spiders going into the holiday season well we have been burning the midnight oil and you know the nice thing about having a made in usa company is i drove to one or two of our vendors and kind of strong armed them and twisted their their (laughs) ear and said hey i need this stuff by black friday so we have everything in the warehouse we have been uh, scrambling to assemble it but you know everybody else is waiting for their stuff that's stuck on a ship in california somewhere we have inventory and lots of it and we're shipping daily so we got some cool Deals coming for Christmas, Black Friday, New Year's, whatever. Um, we're going to do some some giveaways and some other stuff. But, you know, the, the highlight is we have inventory, we have product, and we are shipping. And you can go to bowspider.com to get all the details on that. Start your shopping list, get, get everything put together. You've got some apparel. You've got all kinds of different things on there. Yeah, we added a, a little bit of apparel. I, the newest hats are really cool, the patch hats. They're kind of reminiscent of a pirate flag with a couple arrows crossed and a spider in the middle. I, I like them. I'm partial to them. But check those out. Yeah, we've got a couple shirts and then uh, we got the knives and the new bino harnesses. And there's a couple new products coming in the works. Probably won't be out till early spring but definitely by season hunting fall season next year awesome so again if you're looking for the perfect gift go to bowspider.com you can get those and yeah just make your the hunter in your life a little bit happier so that they'll have a better way to carry around their bow and better storage options and and all that so go to bowspider.com and check it out um and today we got a special guest on the phone. Um, I have Hannah Stonehouse Hudson. She's a motivational speaker, entrepreneur, all around awesome gal. I had a great conversation with her the other day, and I'm really excited to have her have her on this uh, podcast. So, Hannah, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Oh man, it's it's good to have you. And you know, we're I, I feel like you and I are kind of kindred spirits in a lot of ways. You you love to go fishing, and you love dogs, and <laughs> you know you're yes. <laughs> you're you're ambitious, and you get yourself out there. And um, you had been recommended to us for the podcast, and so I was like, all right, I'm going to reach out and just kind of have a good <laughs> little conversation with you. And it was it was really fun to visit and just kind of hear a little bit of your story. But I'm really excited to hear the full details of your story. Cause we just kind of scratched the surface, but if you could just take a little bit, we always have our guests do this, but, um, introduce yourself and talk, you know, 
about your background and where you're from and, and all of that. Okay. Well, thank you. And I, I already have absolutely enjoyed talking to both of you. So this has been fun. Um, I, where do I even start? So we'll, we'll focus on the fishing and hunting aspect of my crazy life. Um, I did not grow up hunting and fishing. I grew up all over the country. We moved constantly, but we were canoeing, kayaking, camping, hiking. I mean, we were very much an outdoor family and we were very much a winter family. We were always skiing. We always would move wherever it was cold. Like we had to be near water, minor league baseball games, uh, and something that was good in the winter. So I grew up like, you know, it's 40 degrees out and we're outside flying kites. And my dad's like, the more you complain, the longer we're going to stay here. So I basically uh, learned how to dress for the cold and had no idea what it would entail later. Uh, so I ended up going to school at UW-Madison. Um, I, I studied Soviet studies, of all things. Um, my grandpa was a Soviet specialist for the State Department. And I would drive by these guys um, who'd be on their lunch breaks uh, with their camel hair coats sitting on buckets ice fishing. And I was like, that is the coolest thing ever. I want to do it. You know, most of the places we went, it, I wasn't around ice fishing. And honestly, I don't admit to most people that I was born in Illinois, but in Illinois, um, and I'm not a bear fan, uh, in Illinois, <laughs> <laughs> in Illinois, you stay off the ice most of the time. So that wasn't really a thing, but I thought it was fascinating. So I actually, for my senior thesis, I actually wrote a paper on um, the uh, folklore of ice fishing because it is, it's a community. There's all these cool stories, traditions, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and I had no idea that uh, about three years, four years after I wrote this paper, I was up in northern Wisconsin in Bayfield, Wisconsin, which is on the south shore of Lake Superior. And I kept hearing about this guy I needed to meet. Uh, his name was Jimmy, Jimmy the cop. And they said, you got to meet him, you got to meet him, but he might be fishing. I'm like, okay, well, I'll just speed through town trying to get pulled over. Like in my head and in my heart, I knew I needed to meet this guy. <laughs> so I, and I was like, it's a town of 300. I'm like, I, he can't be, it can't be too far. Well, I never got pulled over. So I was at the, of course, the bar, because, you know, it's very small towns. Um, that's where everyone goes. It's not necessarily to drink, but it's like, that's where everybody goes in the winter. Uh, and it was the week between open water and, uh, sorry, ice fishing and open water. And I was standing there with a friend and this guy walks up and I knew I was going to marry him right away. And it was Jimmy the cop. And we started talking and it, like within five seconds, he's like, you like to fish? Because I love to, I, I love to fly fish for muskie. And his eyes were huge. He's like, what? And so we, I bought him a boat. We basically moved in together shortly after. Uh, and I bought him a boat, uh, 2004 Smokercraft Malincha, uh, with a 115 Merc on it. <laughs> I bought him nice. a brand new boat less than a month after we met. And I always joked that's when we really got married. Um, so <laughs> we, so, and what was crazy is, so I, I drop everything. I am pretty much a city girl. Like I loved being outside and all of that, but I didn't know quite what I was getting into. So I move up there. Um, and he was from the reservation, which is Red Cliff. He was Red Cliff, um, 
Ojibwe. And so I, it is a complete culture shock for both of us because I come from a radio and diplomat family. So all over the world, many different, many different languages and cultures in a different way to living in Northern Wisconsin. And for a while, we, a couple of weeks, we lived uh, with his mom on the reservation. And I was introduced to like, I've never been around guns in my life. I've never been around hunting in my life. Like none of this stuff. And we're driving around and he's like, Hey, can you get the shotgun from the back? I'm like, yeah, why? He's like, well, you know, we might go hunting. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and <laughs> he's like, well, uh, and so for a very long time, I thought in Wisconsin, everyone's hunting season was September 1st to December 31st for deer, because that's the guys, that's what they did. And they'd go out hunting for the elders. And they, so my introduction to deer hunting was a Ojibwe. It was feeding the elders first like that was first and foremost and I don't think many people know that that is like you feed your parents you feed your grandparents the elders everything and you know you go out and everybody does its community and so as I lived there for a few more years I suddenly realized oh wait that's not everyone so that was my introduction to hunting but the other thing was um he was obsessed with ice fishing and I didn't realize how obsessed but I I thought it was normal to go for like 10 hours at a time um so we would go (laughs) oh my god like and so I still to this day I'm like well why are we leaving we've only been out here like six hours so but anyway (laughs) I digress this is this I told you it was a long story when we talked um so he, the first time we ever went ice fishing, and this is the first time I ever went ice fishing, even though I, I interviewed people about it and was absolutely fascinated by it. The first time we ever went out was uh, winter, it was December 1st, ice 2004. We decided we're going to go to this great spot that has white fish. And I was all excited, but I also, I had just started being an insurance agent. So I was super paranoid. Um, and we're, we go it's like an episode. It's like uh, grumpy old men. I feel like my <laughs> life is should be called grumpy old women now, but it is grumpy old men. So we go to Asheville, Wisconsin. We're going out onto Lake Superior, and he's like, "Man, that guy over." We're on a snowmobile. He goes, "Man, that guy. He's he's always out here way too early with his with his shack." I guess it's okay. So we go past him, and we go, and we're fishing. We're catching a bunch of white fish, and. It's about 1030 at night. So we'd stayed out pretty late, you know, getting those white fish at night. And he said, okay, well, let's pack up. And he gets on the snowmobile and he pretends that it doesn't start. I'm like, ha, 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 whatever. That's not very funny. He's like, huh, I told you not to be scared. I'm like, yeah, whatever. So then he tries to start it. And lo and behold, it doesn't start. I'm like, come on, man. So, and we didn't realize that would be something from a political debate like 20 years later. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, I, I go, okay, well, you know, he sends me to the shack, which is like an, a mile away. So I am running to the shack. He's like, tell the guy to um, not to drive over here. He said, do not let this guy drive over here. He has a, he's got a one ton and he should not be on it. I was like, okay, well, I go. And the, like, like I said, it's like something from Northern Exposure or Grumpy Old Men. I knock on the door. The guy opens it. He's got the hat with the flaps on it. He's got long underwear on. He's like, hey, little lady. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell did I get myself into? <laughs> so 
he said, oh, well, just jump in my truck. I'm like, well, my boyfriend, nope, don't worry about it. I know what I'm doing. I'm old. I'm like, okay, then. So we get in the truck and he looks at me. He's like, so if we go through, you know, just open the door, jump out. What, it's not a big deal. This will be my third truck if we lose it. I'm like, what in the am I getting myself into? And in my head, all I think about is like, I'm an insurance agent now. All I've been looking at is like, basically like accident crap. Excuse my language. I'll try to tone it down. So, uh, and you see my husband, well, not my husband yet. My boyfriend, like waving his stop, stop. And, and the guy's like, oh, I think he wants us to stop. And he said, why don't you get out? And Jim's yelling at me, get out, get out. So I jump out of the truck and there are spider cracks everywhere. And the guy goes, oh, wow. I thought there was like 12 inches of ice. Oh, no, there was eight inches of clear ice. Oh, man. And it, oh, it was horrible. And so Jim starts yelling at me, run, run, run. So I start walking it to shore, which is, you know, maybe a mile and a half. And I'm running and they have hooked up the snowmobile and the guy is driving and Jim's running behind him, his little legs running and the it's spider cracking and we get to shore and the guy's like, oh man, with this extra tank of fuel, I'm really surprised we didn't go through. So oh, not geez. only does this guy have a one ton with an extra tank of fuel, he's like, oh, well, I want to just rest, lost another one. And I, this is my first introduction to ice fishing. Oh man. <laughs> And I was addicted after that because I love adventure. And what is more adventurous than people with long underwear on and, you know, basically the stormy curlers with, oh, God. So that was that. And then um, I spent, Jim and I got married the next year. And we spent um, until about 2011, we both, I was an insurance agent and a photographer. And he was a police officer and a fishing guide. So he, um, we both built our businesses with social media um, and ended up being able to quit our jobs. And I was a full-time photographer and he was a full-time fishing guide. Um, and so we really had these really fun, successful businesses uh, based on Lake Superior, which is the most gorgeous place on the planet. And what was really cool for him is he was able to show kids from the area that you can make a successful living by, you know, doing ecotourism or, or, you know, working with the land or the lake. And he also, his grandfather raised him and he felt like he was very much honoring his grandfather by teaching people about Lake Superior, teaching them about, um, you know, fish, what to, what to put back, what to keep. So he did some really cool stuff with that. Uh, and so we were both really doing well. And in 2012, the summer, I told him, I was jokingly told him, um, I wanted to take photos of dogs through the rest of my life. And he laughed in my face and he said, that will not happen. We live, I was a wedding photographer and I was, I had what I call white dress syndrome, which is I was so over weddings. I was like twitching. <laughs> like I can't do it. Uh, apologies to my former brides. I love you. Uh, they know it too. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I jokingly told the universe, I want to take photos of dogs for the rest of my life. And like three months later, I took a photo of my friend John in the water with his dog Shep. And it became, um, the Huffington Post at the time called it the most viral photo of all time. It was quickly usurped by uh, another photo. But I mean, it was uh, on the cover of uh, almost every major newspaper. 
uh, including my a friend of mine, my best friend from college was in London. She just had a kid and she was um, walking her pram, as she called it, uh, down the street. She looked over to her right and in the newspaper um, bin was my photo on the front of the London Times, which was very weird, she said. She took a picture of it and just started laughing. So it was crazy. It, yeah, it was amazing. Um, it was very chaotic. And I actually did a TEDx talk about it, so I won't get totally into it. But the internet can be weird, even in, in good and bad times. So I ended up having to really reframe some things. And from years of being an insurance agent, I was very analytical. So I started sort of studying how all these things were happening with this photo. You know, um, Facebook groups, we raised $80,000 for a uh, nonprofit. We, I was on all these different talk shows like um, Good Morning America, I had to tell them to call back because I was shooting a wedding. So like, it was, it was these weird things. Like, sorry, can't talk right now. Yeah, it was very surreal. My phone, yeah, my phone kept, you know, the voicemail would keep uh, filling up and people drove eight to 10 hours, six, eight, 10 hours to my house to look for John and would walk into our house without knocking. Oh, and that. Yeah, it was crazy. And it was my first um, foray into the world of no boundaries on the internet. People know you. So I really had to, you know, look at it in a positive way. So that's happening. And for about four months, I am shooting photos of dogs flying all over the place. And in January of 2013, I got back from a shoot uh, January 25th, the day after my birthday, January 25th. 2013, uh, Jim and I went to dinner and we just, we really discussed the fact that we, you know, we had been spending too much time on our businesses, staring at our phones. We were both having like the most successful time in our life. However, the personal life balance was not there. There was no personal life. So we had this conversation. And then the next morning, he gave me a kiss goodbye at 5.30 in the morning uh, to go guide clients on Lake Superior. Um, they were looking for, for lake trout. Um, and I was sitting at my computer uh, at about 10, 10.30 in the morning, and my phone is ringing off the hook. And my phone was, it was numbers I didn't recognize. I'm like, oh, it must have to do with the photo or people trying to get a hold of me. And so I kept ignoring it. I kept ignoring it. And then um, I start to pick it up, and I hear this bang, bang, bang on the front door and I open it and it's my friend and downstairs neighbor, Aaron, um, who happens to be the police officer who uh, replaced my husband on the police force. And his face is absolutely white. And he's like, uh, Jim's gone in. It doesn't look good. And I, and I kind of was, uh, in this really weird moment of duality of realizing what he's telling me, but also feeling bad that he has to tell me because Jim used to come home after telling someone something very tragic and be absolutely distraught, which is one of the reasons we decided he needed to stop being a police officer. But I, I looked at Aaron and I was like, I, I couldn't believe what he was telling me. And I was, um, I, he said, yeah, um, that he'd gone in and that I needed to get to the emergency room. So um, it turns out Jim's snowmobile, he had gone to a spot where there was ice the day before. It was a very cold winter. 
Um, he was guiding clients and he was trying to get to a new spot like we do. Um, and his snowmobile went through um, the ice and he spent about 45 minutes in the water. And what the crazy, there were many crazy parts about this. And I don't speak about this um, non-emotionally because I, I don't miss him and I'm not sad about it. I speak about this a lot. Um, and so it's actually helped me heal very much. So, so I want people to be very like cognizant of that. Um, it, small towns, the people who rescued him were his friends. The people who rescued him with the wind sled, which is how on Lake Superior you get to people. Not only is it how you rescue people, but it's transportation back and forth from the island um, for the school kids and for the people working there. Um, but his friends came to rescue him, and they were the guys who did rescues with him when he was a cop. He was he was an ice rescue expert. Like that's what he taught. So the fact that. Uh, uh, a situation, which is when you look at a place where there used to be ice the day before and it's, it's snow covered, um, they talk about this in ice rescue um, scenarios. That's what got him. There was no ice there. It was just the water was so had gotten to such a cold temperature that the, I, the snow was sitting on it. And that's why in areas of current, it's so important to check the ice. So, that is what had happened to him. So back to that part. They take me to the emergency room and um, in Asheville, Wisconsin. And I, they said, you have to identify him because um, they handed me his soaking wet wallet and said, you need to go into the emergency room and, and identify him because we don't know him. I was like, okay, how do you not know? And I walk in and it is, they're working on him trying to revive him, which, first of all, he was not going to be revived. Um, I'm with his mom. We're both looking, and we look over, and the EMTs who don't recognize him are uh, like a grade school teacher, um, a guy who helped raise him. Uh, and I, and the reason they didn't recognize him, I think everyone was in shock, but also his hair had turned orange. Like, it had turned red. He, and he was Danish and made Native American, and he had this this beard and none of us know to this day, we still talk about it. Like what happened in his body chemistry? It was just very odd. So I talked to a lot of other widows or people who've gone through this sorts of thing. And they say all kinds of odd things happen when traumatic deaths happen. So, um, yeah, then (laughs) that went viral. So I, I, you know, go to Duluth. They had to take him via helicopter to Duluth. They actually pronounced him deceased there. And I, I remember thanking the doctor, like, thank you, thank you, thank you for stopping. And this is another point I tell people when I do my seminars about grief. Jim never wanted to be revived. He always said, if something happens, don't, don't, keep trying to go, but we didn't have any piece of paper that said that. I tell people, even if you're in your twenties, your thirties, whatever, if you truly don't want uh, resuscitation, write that down, make sure you have paperwork in place. It's the most uncomfortable situation. Um, and most people wouldn't expect to hear this really depressing thing, though it shouldn't be on a, on a podcast about <laughs> hunting and fishing. But I tell people like, seriously do this. So that is another lesson I want people to know. So 
uh, his death goes viral. And because he was a very successful fishing guide and was on lots of TV shows and did really great, cool things and had a huge community. Um, so that was crazy because I started looking at it from a an objective standpoint as much as I could. And really, I was in shock. So that's why I was doing it. It started going viral in the same exact way that the John and Chef thing did. Like in terms of donations, in terms of how uh, news news stations catching hold of it, all of these things. Like it, it kept going. So I, oddly enough, was taking notes and realized like every other people are going through this. It, it didn't, took me a couple months to, you know, grasp that. But in the time, hilariously, in the time when I was figuring out after the funeral and all of these things, what was going on, I, you know, I was laughing because I was having conversations with Sam as we do with our deceased loved ones. And I was taking photos of dogs. Like I was getting flown everywhere to take photos of dogs by other women who had lost their significant others. So this crazy community that had happened because of the John and Chet photo. And then because of um, Jim's passing, these people were taking care of me to make sure like I knew what was going on and like get me out of the small town, which I love. But I was like the lone widow the lone woman in a group of guys and they had no idea what to do with me like they would clean my guns for me and they would bring me dead things and they would like <laughs> they were wonderful but they're like what do we do with this chick so you know <laughs> they plowed snow for me um so <laughs> my uh i'm writing a book about all of these things and <laughs> I, I've gone in between two different ones: uh, the Northwood Widow's Guide to Grieving, or the Nor or the Sarcastic Widow's Guide to Grieving, because it, it's both. And I joke that I have a dowry, and my boyfriend, who has the same freaking sense of humor as I do, who's wonderful, is like, um, and he's really, really good friends with my mother-in-law, with Jim's mom. They joke about like, okay, so when does he get the dowry? But that's, that's a longer conversation. So I am extremely blessed with the amount of cool people in my life who, you know, this was um, nine years, almost nine years ago. And I've, I've gotten to do all kinds of cool things including ice fishing. And if you want to ask me any questions, I feel like I'm just well, like throwing this all out, but <laughs> no, it's, it's a, crazy. It's a crazy, crazy story. I mean, I didn't have the details of this and so I'm just yeah. blown away by it. But the, the part that really I'm curious about is how do you go back out onto the ice after you've just witnessed you know, going through that trauma? Because I, I see a lot of people that deal with this and I don't know that they would want to get anywhere near a piece a piece of ice after that so how did you how did you cope with that for me ice fishing did not kill jim that that is the biggest biggest thing i tell everyone and and ice fishing did not an accident happened accidents happened my happiest place my favorite thing in the entire world is ice fishing and so the first time I ever went um, after he passed was with a group called Women on Ice, uh, the Women Ice Angler Project. And we had, uh, Barb Carey's involved and she would be 
fantastic on your podcast, by the way. Uh, Barb Carey, she started this program with me and I was the photographer. And we decided to show women how to face their fears and show positive images of women ice fishing. Because if you Googled women on ice before, it was women with bikinis on showing fish. Like, whatever. That's your thing. Okay. It's but not really, really realistic a, when it's minus right, 20. Right, You know, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, and they're, uh, and, you know, nine years ago, eight, nine years ago, there weren't as many women in ice fishing as there are now. Now there's tons. And I truly hope that Barb and I were a part of that. I think we were, I'm not sure, but social media created this really cool climate. Everybody hates social media, but there are some good things about it. And one of those is the growth of women in the outdoor industry, uh, because they started seeing other women doing it and being able to learn from other women. You know, I will never, I, you can't learn from your spouse backing up a trailer never ever do that that's grounds for divorce <laughs> or, trolling or trying to do like a two-person kayak that's a bad idea oh no my mother my parents have been together for almost 50 years the only time my parents ever came close to divorce was a tandem kayak in lake superior yep. they like literally Yes, I know all about that. I was like, wow, my mom's pissed and she doesn't get pissed. So anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, any of those things, don't do that with yourself or significant other. Um, so it was really cool to be part of this women's group where we, we went the first year we went up to Lake of the Woods. It was a group of eight women, um, you know, out there finding fish, getting to the shack. We told the sto whole story through photos and video of, you know, hooking up the snowmobiles, getting the trailer out, where normally you would see just the guys doing that part. But for us, we know how to do it. And we wanted to show other women that they could do it. So we ended up doing the project. They're still doing the project now, but I left because of some health concerns with, with my breast cancer. But they're still doing this. And, you know, they've got photos on billboards. We've got women in catalogs, ice fishing catalogs, Cabela's catalogs, uh, farm and fleet, all of those are fleet farms. One of the two. I can't keep track. That sounds horrible. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we wanted to do this. Well, to I've show noticed, people Hannah, that they could, that, yeah. uh, you know, my wife's pretty avid in the outdoors and our stories and some of the other podcasts, but you know, the first few times I took her deer hunting or turkey hunting in the early 2000s, she was wearing, you know, my bibs and my spare coat, right? Yep. She had a pair of boots, but that was about it. And usually a hoodie and jeans under my yep. bibs and my coat. That's that's what we had. That's what she had. And there was really no women clothing line out there, period. I mean, there just wasn't. I mean, yep. you maybe could go to Cabela's and find a piece, one article, but now you go out there today, you know, in 2020 and there's several oh. clothing lines devoted just to, and we, we've had this conversation, but just the gear alone, you know, has, has evolved to allow women to, to be out there doing these same sports, to have just clothing. You wouldn't think about it, but clothing that fits you right. You know, if you don't have clothing that doesn't fit you right, you're not going to want to stay out there ice fishing 10 hours. You're, you're cold, you're uncomfortable. You know, if you've got too much on, you can't move, you're sweating. It's, it's that whole yep. dynamic of if you're uncomfortable. So that's one thing I want to say is that maybe some of what you've done has helped 
drive demand of, hey, we do need clothing line specific for this. Yes, exactly. That Great minds think alike. Because that was going to what I was going to talk about. Before, we'd wear like uh, extra large men, uh, extra large boys clothes because they kind of okay. Or we'd, we'd put our significant other stuff on. And it was just uncomfortable. And I talked to a guy in the ice fishing industry. I said, why don't you make clothes for women? He's like, well, it's a niche of a niche. Why would we do that? That's not profitable. Well, look at it now. Women are driving it. One of the reasons I'm so involved with uh, DSG, Women's Ice Fishing Clothing, it freaking fits. It, it is, and there's many brands, like, but they fit so well that I can be out there and I can kneel, I can get to fish, I can get like the ergonomics of it and actually be able to enjoy being outside. And when you can enjoy being outside and, you know, land a big fish without swimming in your clothing, that's huge. So a lot, plus there's lighter gear. There's, um, I have my little BW GTI, like I call it the, um, the mobile fish house, uh, the <laughs> ice fishing GTI. I can shove my auger in there. I can have my Vexlar and, and a shack. And I'm, I'm the only little vehicle on the ice, but it doesn't matter because I can get to what I need to be. Um, and so that has been a really incredible, incredible thing. The other part is I love that I was able to embrace ice fishing and tell people not to fall victim to their fears. What you think is your fear. Like if I had stopped ice fishing, I would have been miserable because I would have looked at it like ice fishing killed my husband. No, it didn't things happen. I want people, I have another friend, her fiance was killed on a motorcycle and it was an accident. She is an avid, avid, avid rider. And that she talks about as well. It's not motorcycle. That accident killed him, not the bike itself. You want to be able to enjoy life. You want to be around the people who do the things that you do. I spent like two winters, well, maybe one winter, really not ice fishing um, because I, and not as much as I wanted to, because I was like, eh, I don't know really what I'm doing. I don't have the equipment. I don't know if the guys even want to see me. And so I went and I finally said, okay, fine. I'm going to just take my fear out of um, what they think, what the guys, his friends think and go fishing with them. They were so happy to see me. And I got to figure out, oh, I do know what I'm doing. Like Jim <laughs> taught me lots of things. And I was, you know, catching crappie and talking. And they're like, what are you doing? How are you able to catch those? I was like, I don't know. Like I just catch them. And then they're like, why do you keep throwing them back? I don't know how to fillet them. I wasn't allowed. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he didn't teach me everything because there were certain things that I just really sucked at doing. Filleting fish was one. Backing up a trailer was another. So I it took me a few years to figure those things out. But I do, I want to tell, I think the biggest thing is Go do something that's interesting. And if, if you're a mom or a dad who's worried about your significant other or your kids going ice fishing, please don't be. It is one of the most fun things you can do with your family or with, you know, with your kids. There's float suits for kids. You know, if there's 22 inches of ice, clear ice, you're going to be fine. Right. It, you know, ob obviously don't ever... Uh, lose that sense of, of watching for danger. I mean, I'm not saying go out there and do 
uh, you know, circles with your truck at a high rate of speed. But there's a difference between four inches of ice and 22 inches of ice. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I had a friend last year. He was terrified of going out on the ice. He just, it was one of the things that he had a huge fear of and his two mm-hmm. daughters really wanted to go. And yeah. so we decided, yeah, we'll go kind of mid January, which here in this area, you know, the ice gets super thick. And so I remember taking him out there and we went to this particular area where the ice is super clear and hard. And I didn't think about the fact that he could see through the ice to the bottom. Oh. And so he goes walking out there and he's like, um, <laughs> I don't know how to feel about this. And I was like, okay, here's the deal. So I drilled a hole and we measured it. It was like 20 inches of ice. And yeah. I said, this is basically like concrete. I mean, you know, you're not going to fall through this. And he's like, I know, but it's just so weird being able to see through it. And, um, yeah. we ended up fishing that area and his kids all caught fish. He caught a fish too. And, and so it was a really good experience and he's agreed to go again this next year. So I I think a lot of it is, you know, just, you know, people see maybe movies or they hear stories about somebody going through the ice or they, they see the news articles when someone does and they, and they don't make it, you know? And so there's a, there is a palpable fear, fear. Plus you have all the sounds that come with ice fishing, you know, the ice popping, cracking, Um, and so I'm glad you brought that up because I think a lot of people look at it as like, Oh, well, ice fishing is super dangerous. Well, you know, it can be, if you aren't paying attention, you have to have a respect for it, but it's really no different than any other activity like driving to work. I mean, you're you're taking risk. Everything is dangerous. Everything has an element, seriously has an element of danger. And I, what's funny is you bring up the cracking and popping sounds. I was doing, uh, they were filming a show of, for me about me which i always laugh when i say that um i'm like superior and um it was popping and cracking and the guy was who was running the camera had never been out on the ice before and he was terrified <laughs> and he's like why aren't you scared i'm like that's awesome we want that noise yeah. we want that noise because that's making ice and then a huge a huge crack went through and like this huge boom and I thought he was going to pass out. I really, the poor guy. I mean, oh, yeah. Let's interview an ice fishing widow while the ice is popping. And she's like, yeah, no, this is fine. He's like, what kind of crack is this woman smoking? But, you know. Well, the, the thing I would say, Hannah, to, to everybody is a third of all people die in bed. The most dangerous thing you do every day is go lay down in your bed, statistically speaking. Right. So, I mean, if you're going to hide in your house and you're going to be afraid of everything, you're you're not going to stave off death. What you're going to do is you're going to lose life. Right. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying you should go base jumping without a parachute and see if you can make it right. That's, that's not what I'm saying here. You know, (laughs) I'm not saying to actually go find a a grizzly bear sow and cub and and try and go poker with a stick you know there's things we can do to mitigate and and keep safety in mind right but right yeah my point is is, you know we we, you got you got life short man yeah yeah life is short and you got to live the life that you have i mean you don't know what tomorrow brings and i mean ice, ice fishing can be a wonderful activity you just have to pay attention. And I, I was thinking about this story, just I'll share it with everybody. But uh, 
I was fishing on a body of water with a really good friend of mine, Josh. He'll probably be listening to this, but uh, we were ice fishing on a reservoir here in Wyoming called Seminole Reservoir. And we got out there, there was 17 inches of ice and we were on foot. And so we were dragging our ice shacks that we had our little ice pop-up ice shacks. And so we went out and we went about, I don't know, a quarter of a mile, half a mile, went around a point and then kind of found a place where we could get out of the wind and start doing some fishing. And we fished 12 hours, probably something like that. And it was dark Mm -hmm. and the wind had been howling all day. I mean, just blowing like crazy. Of course it's Wyoming. That's what it does. But anyway, so we started to head back around and come to find out that spot that we had crossed where we had measured 17 inches of ice was open water. Um, it had, it had warmed up and it had blown so hard that it destroyed that ice in that short amount of time, you know, 12, 13 hours. So we ended up having to go up this really steep, uh, ridge to get out of there and on land and drag our stuff up and over. Um, luckily his dad came with some, with some vehicles and helped us get out of there. But I mean, it was scary. I mean, we could have easily, yeah. if we didn't have lights and weren't paying attention, we could have walked around that point and been in the water. And that would have been really bad because the wind was blowing 50, 60 miles an hour. So, um, Oh, wow. But you, I mean, you, it's like you say, you got to pay attention because even 17 inches ice going to literally disappear in a matter oh, yeah. of hours. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what can happen. It can just disappear. And so that's when people think 22 inches of ice, they're like, well, you just said it can disappear. Well, that's why you have to pay attention where you're fishing. Yeah. It's not like, it, that's what worries me about all these people who have suddenly bought these, um, bought trailers and, you know, fish houses, permanent shacks. They don't necessarily understand ice conditions. Yep. So they're going to, they're going to get themselves in trouble. So that's it, what you're talking about is exactly why it's very important to, to pay attention to your surroundings. Yeah, it can be, and it can change so quickly. I, I just, I, yeah. I have multiple stories like that where, you know, it's just like you start in the morning and it's this way. And then by the time oh, yeah. you're done, you're like, holy crap, this is totally different. And a lot of it's just paying attention to the weather. Um, and yeah. Oh yeah. Keeping an eye on the, nowadays it's easy. Cause you know, you have the app on the phone, you can pay attention yeah. a little bit easier, but I mean, it's, yeah. it can be mitigated. I mean, it, there's so many places, especially in Wyoming, North Dakota, Minnesota, where you have really good ice for a sustained period of time and going with people that have experience like yourself, you know, you're taking people out and showing them this and showing them that, Hey, this isn't actually all that bad. You know, you can, right, you can do right. this. So yeah. how, how do you, what's some of your, I don't know, I guess tips and tricks or things that you do to get people to go out there and experience it when they have that really strong fear. Oh yeah, this is, I love that I have moved to Fargo, North Dakota to be close to my favorite ice fishing spots because Otter Tail Lakes County or country, which is about 45 minutes from here, has some excellent bodies of water to introduce the ice fishing curious but fearful to ice fishing because you have a bunch of lakes and this is, you know, anyone who's listening to this, look for lakes like this and, and talk to guides. First of all, if you and your family are interested in ice fishing, um, even if you know how to ice fish, but you've moved to a new area, the best 
thing you can do is hire a guide, pay a guide. I know some people are hesitant because, oh, they won't think I know what I'm doing. Well, fine. If you don't know what you're doing, that's why you hire them. Or I know what I do. I'm doing. I don't want to like, I don't want to be talked down to or something like that. I hear that with a lot of women in, in ice fishing, but that's not what it's about. I hire guides all the time. I'm a better angler for hiring guides. So that's my little rant about that. Learning new techniques. Everybody's got new stuff. So if you want to learn how to ice fish or you want to go out, what I usually do is um, I find my favorite guides and I say, I'm not going to be the person to take them. Like I don't usually take people myself because I want to have someone who has the extra equipment is dialed into the fish and and can talk to the person and coach them. Because I do know what I'm doing, but it's really fun to have someone in the industry talk to that person. Mm-hmm. So what will usually and be dialed into the fish, because the first thing is find a place with fish. A person, if they're catching fish and you're seeing them on the, on the Vexler, the Hummingbird, or the Rants, or whatever electronics you're using, if you're catching fish, you forget all about dice. Like, you don't care. Because if it's one fish after another, it's awesome. The other thing I tell people is, if you're not catching fish and you're bored, go ahead and leave. You don't, and this is for kids, too. If the kids are bored, leave. Don't make them stick it out because they will hate it for the rest of their life. Uh, That's the other thing. And the third and maybe the most important thing is stop wearing cotton and stop wearing three pairs of socks. That is, I see more kids and women who are cold and don't know why they're cold. They're like, why would I want to do that? Because they're wearing three pairs of cotton socks, boots that are fashionable, and uh, a coat and jeans and a hoodie, and they think they're going to be able to be out there. What you need is, and you can still do this and look fashionable, even though my father used to my sister and I, it's not about fashion, girls. And I think that's what God, <laughs> I still say that sometimes. <laughs> not about fashion. Uh, I will look ridiculous if I want to be warm. I no longer have to look ridiculous because I have such good outerwear now. But for years, I would be that girl uh, because I just don't care. Uh, but, you know, merino wool socks that are a little big, if it's really cold out and you're going to be outside, uh, like a silk liner for your feet, uh, light merino socks and good boots. Um, if you can avoid lead, uh, if you can avoid rubber touching your toes, that's super important. Um, and no cotton anywhere, a really nice merino wool base layer, um, and a merino wool top followed by some sort of, you know, nicer shirt, and you can have a, a sweatshirt on over that if you want. I actually have a merino wool sweatshirt. I, my thing is a little weird because I have some health problems that cause me to need to dress a certain way. Um, so uh, that's, you know, dressing appropriately. I will literally look at people. I bring extra socks with me and look at people's shoes. I'm like, what are you wearing? Because I don't want them to be miserable. Right. It doesn't, it's, it sucks if you get frostbite. That's kind of a permanent. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so, I mean, you can't, to your point, I mean, if you're not going to do an activity where you're miserable, yeah. 
so it, you have to dress appropriately. You have to be prepared because I mean, it's just, it's not fun being cold. Dave and I both agree no. with that. Like <laughs> we hate being cold. Yeah. I hate being cold too. And I think, um, see if anybody has ever heard of Steger Mucklucks, like this is not a company I'm sponsored by, but Steger, it's, um, Ely Mucklucks. They're made in Ely, Minnesota. They're all moose hide. Um, and they are what I use for dog sledding and they are the best boot I have ever had in my entire life for ice fishing. And people make fun of me because they're like, Oh, you should have baffins or you should have this. I look like some sort of space creature, but there's a reason. There's a reason that, you know, the expedition teams in, in the Arctic where they're warm. They're amazing. And then that with my, with my bibs and my coat from DSG, I'm set. But I mean, there's all these options. So I digress. I could talk about food, fishing, and dressing for cold weather but for the, forever. The, so. the reason it's important to hammer at home so much is, and we've talked about it, you know, the, the higher quality gear you can get, this new technical clothing, you know, you're going mm-hmm. to be comfortable, you're going to be dry, yep. you're going to be mobile, and therefore... You're going to be able to stay out there longer periods, and that's going to make you more successful, period. Yes. It's going to make you more successful. And if, if it is a, like, a money, if it's a money issue, like a financial issue to get that type of clothing, the really cool thing is um, <laughs> lots of people are selling their seconds. And lots of companies, if you ask genuinely and say, I really am into this, I have this kid who I take fishing, but they can't afford to get them the clothing, they'll give you a discount or they'll send you to a pro staffer who, who needs to sell them. So, you know, if you're introducing someone like to the outdoors and they can't afford good clothing to be outside and enjoy it, there are people that can help you. Hannah, that goes back to the excuse of, well, I'm scared that, you know, the most dangerous thing we do is drive to the grocery store every day. You know, if, yeah. if excuse, I don't have a good coat, I can't go ice fishing. Well, you're, you're, you're putting that hurdle in the, in front of you. And that's, that goes all the way to my entrepreneur mindship classes is, you know, if, well, I can't manufacture or build or create that because X, you've, you've just completely, yeah. you know. There's always a way. There is always a solution. And I, I think back to the before that is I was I was out there in second secondary military surplus wool clothing and I, yeah. I'll tell you yeah it's better than cotton but the stuff we have now is so great yeah yeah oh totally yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree and, and speaking of great companies that will work with you and and do great things for you we got to talk about PK Lures and they actually just came out with some brand new colors and a couple of their different lure options. So you guys should check that out for the holidays, pklure.com. And also one of my favorite lures that I want to highlight is the PK Predator. It is a dynamite bait, especially if you're fishing like Hannah was talking about, like crappie through the ice or yellow perch or any of those panfish species. I don't know Mm -hmm. that you can really beat them as far as a really small jigging spoon. And so if you're looking for something good for the holidays, especially something for kids, it's easy for them to jig. They have a tungsten uh, version of this lure. Get one of those, um, use it through the ice. It will help you catch fish. We caught lots of fish on them last year um, through the ice at Boyson. So uh, go to pklure.com and you can check those out. But yeah, there are some great companies. We had Susie Busta. She was a, she's a pro staffer for DSG 
early on in our podcast and she talked about how great the, the women's line of clothing is and the fact that it's, it makes it easier. Um, I think it's, it's, it's really cool to see the industry turning and more women getting involved in ice fishing and, you know, what you've been able to do. And just to kind of highlight that, I think it's, it's exciting for, for men too, cause they want to take their spouses or their, well, even my, my son, right. He's got yeah. a really nice waterfowl jacket and bibs. So whether we're going deer hunting to sit on a stand or whatever we're doing, I mean, here in Wyoming, if we're going out even for an hour in the evening and the wind picks up and if he doesn't have, if he's just got his little school coat, you know, his little down coat or whatever, that's not going to cut 30, 40 mile an hour wind sitting at, at 40 degrees. He's, he's going to be uncomfortable. Right. He's going to want to leave, but yep. if he can have the right stuff on, then, uh, he, he'll, he'll sit that whole time. Yeah. That's like with my, with my folks, what with the thing I was talking about my dad is uh, the colder it is, the more likely if you're complaining, you're going to stay. It's because he was always like, he always taught us how to layer which is basically what they have now are layers within a coat, you know, windbreaker, wool sweater, merino wool, like all those things. And so now it is, it is easier to keep kids out longer, which makes it more fun for other people who, if we do want to teach the next generation, we want to keep kids outdoors. We want the hunting and fishing industries to keep growing because that's what's going to protect our land. That's what's going to keep us, you know, in touch with nature. So we have to do those things. So that's, you know, that affects dressing appropriately does affect long-term situations in a way that we might not think about. Right. I want to go back to something you were talking about earlier. You said you're in the middle of writing a book. And so when do you anticipate that book being released? Um, I am self-publishing because I have ADD and wouldn't be able to wait long enough. Um, (laughs) so, uh, what's funny is I'm hoping it'll be out, uh, the end of January, beginning of February. I'm just wrapping some things up now. Uh, and it's going to be awesome. I, I tried to, I have had so many things happen in the past almost 10 years, uh, the photo going viral, my husband passing away, many chronic health things, crazy trips all over the world. And then, um, and then I was diagnosed with breast cancer and, you know, ice fishing was a way for me to, to heal from that, even from a physical therapy standpoint. Mm-hmm. So I've had all these, yeah, I had all these really crazy things happen. So I kept adding things to a book and I thought, what the hell? I can just do like a bunch of them. And so this is my first group of um, humorous uh grieving essays because as you may have noticed i have kind of an odd sense of humor but that's you know that's how life is so you you have to you have to have fun so yeah it should be uh end of january beginning of february um so i'm really used to trout and salmon so i'm really excited the pk lures i am very excited to try those on crappies um and some of the the stuff in otter tail county because i this panfish for me are completely new Last year, I did a lot of cussing and yelling because I'm so used to a predator bite or a heavier rod. I was like, what is this? These teeny little bites. But now I realize it is as fun. It's just a little more finicky. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. Well, you know, with mindfulness, whether you're sitting on that ridge watching for whitetail or you're slowly following a dog waterfowl or upland hunting, whatever you're doing, if you're sitting over a hole ice fishing, you know, this mindfulness of 
just sitting there and in, you know, we all have things we have to work out and weigh on our minds and being able mm-hmm. to be still and calm and, and kind of analyze that problem from a different angle is, is what the outdoors is for all of us. I think, you know, that's, there's this higher, deeper meaning and level of, of communion with nature, right? That yeah. it, it can heal the soul as, as far as I'm concerned from, from whatever's going on. But yeah. is, is that your experience ice fishing? Oh, very much so. For me, it is a pause. I am a high energy, um, constantly doing entrepreneur, always doing something, but also with my health issues and um, when I had breast cancer and what I'm dealing with currently, there's a lot of moving parts. And for me, I can go ice fishing and nothing else matters. I can just focus on the fish. I can, you know, look for fish or I can can think over some problems without any other noises. Um, so for me, it's a huge part of healing. It's a huge part of being out there and not having to worry about anything else. So, yes, it is the ultimate healing for me. So while you're out there ice fishing, if you had to mm-hmm. pick one species or one fish to, to go after, um, how would you What would that fish be and how would you prepare it? Oh, it would be brown trout. Um, So I love fishing for brown trout because A, they're freaking gorgeous. B, they can be in very shallow water. um, And so you can still be ice fishing and you're only over like two feet and they come up. And three, they're delicious. So I, (laughs) you know, they're all three. And I tend to throw most things back, uh, but... Um, and especially if it's spawn, if they're spawning or something like that, that's not when I keep them. But if I do keep a get a keeper brown, uh, basically I three seventy five. So I lay it out: uh, dill, butter, and lemon. Very simple. Put it in the oven. It's three seventy five, I think, for ten minutes per inch of the fillet. So usually it's about fifteen minutes, and then I'm done. It's delicious. Oh yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. here in Wyoming, we have tons of trout and char species. So, oh, okay, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's it's one of those staples in our diet. You know, whether it be yeah. you know, we have I'd I'd say here at Boyson, probably the average uh, brown or rainbow you catch is twenty to twenty four inches, and so you know, you catch a, a few of those and put them in the oven and bake them and maybe throw some high mountain seasonings. That's what David and I like to do. So mm. throw that on there. They have a Western style trout seasoning. You'll have to try. Ooh. Um, and, or sometimes you just, you know, pan fry it, you know, it's fresh yeah. filet, you know, take, take the bones out and then just pan fry it. And you're yeah. right. I mean, it, it's hard to beat because it has all, especially the char species, they have so much fat. And uh, mm-hmm. so you get those healthy fish oils and uh, yep. it's just delicious stuff. Yeah. My oncologist, oddly enough, was like, so are you getting enough, uh, you know, we, you really should look at fish oil supplements. Are you getting enough omegas? And I looked at her and started laughing and I said, so does this mean I need to go back to Lake Superior and catch fish? <laughs> giving started, me an excuse said, to go ice fishing? I know. I was like, does this count as like medical mileage? Because I can write this off on my taxes. <laughs> Why so, not? Yeah. Why not? Why not? Right. Exactly. <laughs> the high mountain seasonings are, I'm a seasoning geek. 
So I like, I'm super excited to, to hear about this trout seasoning. We'll have to talk about it later. So yeah. Well, I'll tell you high mountain seasonings makes a little bit of everything. I mean, you were talking about other foods too, but I mean, they, they, yeah. li- they literally have something for any kind of protein that you go out and you get like David, he's, you know, obviously doing a lot more of the hunting and I'm doing more of the fishing, but I mean, mm-hmm. they, they have something for everything. Like we raised pigs and they have a, a, a baking cure. So we've made our own bacon. We've made our own hams. Like there's, there's stuff for steaks. Like if, if you're just doing like a, a hamburger or a steak or something yeah. like that, they have tons and tons of options and it's all really good stuff and lots of great people that work there. So we like to support them because they're, they're, they're a big company. I mean, they're nationwide and yeah, uh, but they're based here in Riverton and we know the people that work there, they're just incredible folks. And so it's, it's fun to work with them, but you, you know, that's another great holiday gift idea. I mean, we can talk about them now for our sponsorship spot for that, but, uh, yeah. you go to H I M T N jerky.com or Again, HIMTNJerky.com. They have something for everybody, literally. Whether awesome. you're, you're just hamburgers, whether it's fish, whether it's fowl, whether it's, you know, Making big game, small game, you know, from the beginner yeah. to the seasoned vet of somebody who's, you know, if you've got all the equipment for pepperoni and sausage like I do, or if you're just starting out, you want to cook your first duck or pheasant you've got. If you're a big char and trout species person you like smoked fish they also have a couple of different brines they have a gourmet fish brine that's really good i know a lot okay. of people use it for like lake trout and um you know just about anything i mean uh, salmon yeah and it's it's basically just a packet that comes in in the box you mix it with a gallon of cold water you throw your fillets in there for 12 to 24 hours you rinse them smoke the meat you know in your smoker and oh my gosh yeah it's so so yeah good. that's uh that's on my christmas list as a smoker i i love doing all kinds of smoked meat so that sounds the delicious <laughs> <laughs> it's the best awesome so hannah the have- uh, compound bow gets thrown in the in the truck sometime in june july for actual hunting it's it's in the truck all spring and summer for yeah trade shows and and practice but Sometime later in the fall, the, the bow gets a, a company with the shotgun and the rifle. And, you know, we go all the way into December with cow elk tags. So there's there's always something in season around here. And, you know, we're always yeah we're always having some sort of what are we hunting this weekend or this week or where are we going? But speaking of, you know, because you, you mentioned that earlier in the podcast of I just thought everybody had a gun in the truck for six months a right. year. Well, here in Wyoming, right. we do. But right, right. As far as hunting, going out and, and procuring a meat, what what would you uh, say is so far your favorite, and how do you prepare that? Um, well, that is a two part question. So I discovered um, I was terrified of loud noises for a very long time, and because I'd never been around guns, and I was a, a dog photographer, as we talked about. So I started doing bird dog photography to get over my fear of guns, and I in love with grouse and pheasant. Um, so I love cooking grouse and pheasant and woodcock. Um, I tend to do a pate with that just because it tastes a little weird to me. Um, so grouse, pheasant, and I'm actually, I'm supposed to learn how to bird hunt um, and not be the photographer last fall, well, this fall, ooh, but I had surgery in February, so I couldn't because of all of that. So next, next fall, I'm really hoping that I can do a women's pheasant hunting class. 
but I love that. Any of those birds. The other thing, I love moose. I have never shot a moose. I've always just been the recipient, the very, very thankful and grateful recipient of moose meat. Um, so I like to put it in a Dutch oven and, and put it slow at roast. And it is amazing. Uh, usually with some sweet potatoes, potatoes, um, onion, garlic, lots of butter, uh, rosemary, I think in thyme. But yeah, I may have to discover some new seasonings. Yeah, and you're, you're making me really hungry right now. Talking about moose roast, that's not even fair. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, oh, oh we, we have we have one on the way. That's why I'm excited. So. Oh man, the other day we I had a buddy. He killed a bison a year ago, and he gave okay. us a couple of roasts. And I, I we did a bison roast the other night. And oh my gosh. Bison, moose, elk, antelope. I mean, they're all really good. Um, You know, out here in Wyoming, we're blessed because we have antelope. A lot of people think that antelope's gross, but that's because they don't know how to take care of them. But I'll tell you what, you get a really good antelope roast or a really good bison roast, moose roast. There's nothing better than that. It's so good. Oh, it's delicious. My aunt discovered hunting in her mid-50s. Um, she's 60 something now, I believe. Uh, and she is obsessed with antelope hunting. She lives in Montana and her husband doesn't hunt. Uh, he does bird hunting, but she does a game, big game. And she is, she'll send me a picture. She's this little thing. And she's like, I went on a self-guided antelope hunt in public land. And I did three miles there and back to get it back. I'm like, Oh my God. Like in her early sixties, just, you know, heading out. Yeah. She's, uh, She's kind of my hero that way because she just, she found it and she loved it. Kind of like I just find things. And so I'm hoping to head out to Montana with her at some point. So might have to meet up. That's right. Yeah. We're not that far from Montana. So yeah, definitely. She's over in Missoula, so she's not too far. Well, it's it. That's a little ways from here, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I meant I meant for me. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, one of the things I like to do on this podcast is really kind of promote you and promote your business as oh. well. So, tell people how they could get a hold of you. Like, maybe if they wanted to have you come do like a talk on, you know, grief or um, you know, entrepreneurship or any of those things. How would someone get a hold of you? And you know, what's kind of the protocol for you? Oh, yeah. I um, Well, oddly enough, I do a lot of speaking on how to build your story, kind of like I have, um, around your business. So if they wanted me to talk about that and the social media aspect of that, uh, they can go to hshcommunications.com um, or they can find me on Facebook or Instagram, just Hannah Stonehouse Hudson. I'm everywhere. Uh, if they're more interested in the grief aspect, uh, they can go to Time Grace Space which is, again, that's Time, Grace, Space. That's more of my grief website. Uh, grief, resilience, moving forward from loss. And that's, you know, I I do a lot of things for people on how to move forward and not get stuck. But I also love to help small business owners who have created a business out of their own personal story, whether it's, it's tragic or not. Uh, we uh, entrepreneurs, are a fantastic species of people who see a problem and they solve it. And usually it's because something personal has happened in their life. 
And so I love teaching that and helping people do that. But I also love helping people, whether they're making a business out of it or not. So either hshcommunications.com or timegracespace.com. Well, you have to take a, a moment and read the uh, the uh, how to or about us uh, story in uh, yeah. in Bow Spider and, and the, uh, the, the crucible of why I created the product and solved the problem that I was facing. So. Mm-hmm. I love it. I actually, I talked to ATA last year and I came across, uh, and your, your website, I think it was last year. And I think it's very funny because I was going through looking for something and your website popped up in a place I'd already been. And so I think I was doing research for something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good. I'm glad that that, uh, we're, we're making the rounds. We're, we're working really hard. Yeah. Anytime anytime somebody finds the bow spider website, we do like a little fist bump or, you know, like a little (laughs) little happy dance. Cause you know, David really, truly has built this from the ground up. And so it's really cool to see it growing. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's so cool that you came on this podcast. This has been so much fun just to, to visit with you and, and just to hear your story a little bit more in full was really cool for me. Because I mean, you really have overcome so much. It's it's incredible and it's inspiring. And hopefully, it'll get more people to get out there and do some ice fishing and just maybe overcome some of those fears. Yeah, I I hope so too. I can't thank you enough for having me on. This has been fun. So, what's next? What's on the horizon? What's coming? Uh, let's see. I'm doing a couple speaking gigs uh, and looking for first ice, which I think my friend Nicole Stone, who uh, uh, it's going to be me, Su- Susie Busta, who was on your show. Yep. Um, and Nicole, I think we're going to try and find some first ice next week, um, way farther up north. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so we're going to try and find some ice. I'm going to do some photo shoots because I'm still doing ice fishing photos. Uh, and then I'm, you know, I'm doing a bunch of events this uh, coming January, February, and March. Um, going to go to the Black Hills and do some ice fishing. Going to Go to Lake Superior, gonna wander around Outer Tail Lakes Country. So it's gonna be awesome. That sounds like a good time. Yeah, and write my book. Well, the <laughs> pond I was duck hunting this morning had uh, ice on the fringes and the decoys iced up pretty quick. You know, we, we had really good action, a couple hundred birds in and out uh, early. Mm-hmm. But once the sun came up, you know, you get that ice that's, uh, it's, it's just, from the wind was blowing enough that it was lapping up and you know, it was refreezing yeah. on the decoys. Well, they get that sheen of that ice on them and the birds just start flaring hard. They, they yeah. go, those are not real. Yeah. So, like what? No, we, we, we ended it pretty quick, but the, the, the best part for me, Hannah was, uh, you know, a, just get away from communication and, mm-hmm. you know, social media and just get to be there in the moment. But I've got a new pup that we're training. She's coming up two now and she did uh four water retrieves and then i got her to retrieve all the decoys so i didn't even have to go out in the pond and pull the decoys yes. so <laughs> fantastic getting to get the dog out there to work and have it you know it, as excited as it was that's that's almost as fun for me as actually going 
Yeah. Oh heck yeah, that's awesome. But the ice is coming is is the point it of is that story. Coming. We've had some yes. very very unsettled weather lately, and I think that the uh, luck for us, as far as the warmth is is running out, and the the cold will be here. You know, I I know Hannah, you're a huge ice fishing fan. I'm more of the get out in the boat kind of guy, but um, yeah. I, w- I will ice fish. I will ice fish, but <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm a little sad to to put the boat away. But that's all right. It's it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Well, and I am so used to Lake Superior that it was kind of um, inaccessible for me without a boat. Now that um, we're getting a fly craft, my my significant other, Sam, loves fly fishing and, and that. So we're getting a fly craft so we can go out together um, and, and do some open water fishing. So that's cool. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. That'll be good. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and taking the time. I know that this is going to be a big hit with everybody. It's been a fun, fun story. And, and I'm hoping that, you know, people will get in touch with you and, um, you know, hopefully this makes a difference, inspires some folks. So thanks again so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Great. Good luck and stay safe out there. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So everybody, again, if you want to help support the show, please go to ragcastoutdoors.com. You can get a lot more of our podcasts. And then, of course, the big thing that helps us, download the episode. We don't get any kind of credit for it unless you download it. Rate, subscribe, right. and share with your friends. Exactly. So get it out there and make sure to let other people know about it. And we'll catch you next time.